Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. Now this week, uh, I've had a pretty busy week, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring to you a conversation slash show that I did with a listener named Wes. A lot of you will know him from the forums. Uh, it goes by the screen name of WWEST or WWEST. Uh, we kind of got together, had a little bit of conversation, and thought it would be a real good idea uh, to get a lot of these questions that he had in, in audio format and hopefully allow other newcomers to benefit from the questions that he asked and hopefully the answers that I gave. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to play that for you, and at the end I've got a couple topics that I'm going to cover real quick, and we'll wrap it up uh, for this week. So uh, at this point, let's move into the first topic. And the first topic is sponsored by Coral Dynamics. Coral Dynamics specializes in quality captive propagated corals, clownfish, cardinals, and seahorses. Make sure you check out CoralDynamics.com today and also check out all of their specials that they've got going on. They're giving away free frags with, uh, with every order and they've got some contests and stuff like that that they run on a regular basis. So make sure you check out CoralDynamics.com. Wes, I'd like to welcome to welcome you to the Talking Reef Podcast. Now, you've joined me this week to kind of go through some uh, questions and stuff that you've had uh, about the setup of your tank and some of the stuff you're doing. You want to take a minute and introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah. Uh, my name is Wes. I'm from southeastern Ohio. Uh, a lot of you know me as Debbie West. I have a 40-gallon tank right now. It's a mixed tank. plan on having just a reef tank with maybe a few fish. Uh Future plans are to set up a sump, and that's about it. Great. Now, um, we've talked a little bit, and you have you know, been a, a very active member of the, the forum community and have you know, commonly been through a lot of you know, somewhat generic but uh, some beginner and intermediate questions. And I, and, you know, I, I kind of took a minute and, and said, okay, I think some of these are going to be some real good questions to cover on the show because I think there's probably a lot of people that are, uh, you know, wondering the same thing. You know, a lot of times people, you know, are, don't want to step up and ask about them or, you know, for whatever reason. So uh, what I've done this week, I've asked, I've asked Wes to join me. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through a list of questions that he's had. And I'm going to go through and help answer some of those questions. And hopefully uh, for any of the people out there that have some of the same questions, we can get those answered for everybody else too. So uh, that being said, uh, Wes, if you want to go ahead and start off with your first question. Okay. My first question has to do with calc dosing on smaller tanks. Um, my 40-gallon tank, when I first started using calc, I was worried about it crashing overnight or maybe in a few days. Is that possible? Okay, actually, it is possible. Now, when dosing with calc washer, there's a couple things that you really have to keep in mind, especially when dealing with small tanks. Cal calc washer, you know, not only is it extremely concentrated calcium, uh, alkalinity, but it's also uh, can really screw up your pH if it's dosed too fast. Uh, and all of the above can have serious effects on your tank. So when you're dealing with calc, there's a couple things to keep in mind. 
First of all, you want to be dosing with a container that's small enough to where, you know, I'm one of these people that's like, you know, let's plan for the worst and hope for the best. So, you know, that being said, let the, you want to start with a, a container that's small enough uh, so that if by some chance the whole thing were to run uncontrolled into your tank, it's not going to cause a huge problem. Now, for a 40-gallon tank with no sump, so you've probably got about 30, 35 gallons of water volume in there. Um, I think you should. You would probably be okay with about a half gallon, maybe a gallon. Uh, I wouldn't go more than a gallon. I think your best bet would probably be a half gallon container. Now, with that being said, uh, what you'd want to try to do is, you know, regulate the flow going in there. So, uh, if you remember back uh, when we did the the calc video, uh, I showed the little um, twist knob that we put on there to kind of control the drip rate. Um, so those are kind of the two things you want to do. Uh, if you do dose straight through, uh, you want to do it in smaller amounts. So uh, basically to answer your question, yes, problems can happen. Uh, you, there's a lot of different things that can happen from overdosing. So you want to be careful with it. Dose it slow. Uh, you know, the other thing is that you want to understand uh, where your calcium and alkalinity levels are before you start dosing this stuff. So uh, I think we're going to get into that a little bit more in your next question, but uh, uh, I think that about covers it. Did that answer your question for you, or did you need further, need more? Uh, no, I think that's. I think I pretty well answered it. Um, I was just worried basically about it, you know, waking up, going to work, coming home, and then, you know, be crashed or something. Right, right, yeah, and you know, and it's a concern, and you know, the honestly. And I, I think I mentioned it before, I'm not really sure, um, but when dosing kelk, uh, you, the best time to do it is, you know, in your situation before you leave for work in the morning. Uh, so, you know, you can mix it up, you know, the night before if you want, leave it in a sealed container and uh, then use it, you know, then it's ready to go the next morning and you can start the drip. Uh, and the reason you do that is because the pH is lowest in the morning and adding kelk water is going to raise the pH of your tank. So if you start dosing in the morning, you're going to lessen the chance of a drastic pH flux. So that's probably the best time to do it. But other than that, you know, I mean, just, just use the, the uh, little gang valve and control your drip rate. Make sure you're dripping it into an area like right above a power head. So you're in a uh, highly, you know, active area, getting lots of flow. Uh, and you should be okay, you know, that, that, that should do it for you. Okay. Uh, my next question has to do with calc as well. And before you start dosing it, should your alkalinity and calcium be at the, the suggested levels, or can you start dosing if your alkalinity is low and your calcium is high? Okay, and that's a great question, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't fully understand. Uh, before we get into this, uh, you know, I do want to mention that... Uh, Calcium, or I'm sorry, not calcium, Kalkwasser uh, was discussed uh, in detail for everybody just to kind of reference in uh, episode 13, uh, which was, geez, that was, you know, a long time ago. Uh, I think that was like back in, you know, geez, September or something of last year. Uh, and then we also did a video on, on a calc doser, a DIY calc doser, and that was uh, back in April in episode 44. So, um, Back to your question, Kalkwasser uh, is best used to maintain calcium and alkalinity levels. Uh, you can use it in certain circumstances, although for somebody that's new to calc, I would not recommend it. You can use it to raise calcium and alkalinity. The catch is, is it raises both. 
Uh, so if you have a situation where your calcium is high and your alkalinity is low or your or vice versa, alkalinity is high and calcium is low, whatever, um, you do not want to use calc because what it's going to do is it's going to raise your alkalinity even higher. Uh, it's also going to try to raise the calcium, but the higher the alkalinity goes, it's going to create other problems which are going to cause your calcium levels to drop off or vice versa, whatever it is. Uh, so before you start dosing Kalkwasser, the best thing to do is to measure the calcium and the alkalinity, make sure that they are both at um, a really you want to start them with at, at the recommended rates. So you want to keep, you know, you want them dead on where you want to keep them. And then you're going to use the Kalkwasser to maintain those levels. Now, you know, as I mentioned, if they're both low and they're both equally low, then you can use Kalkwasser to raise them, but it's a little bit more of an advanced trick. So, um, you know, that that's, I think that's pretty much it there. So, you know, they should be both at the same level and you're going to use calcium to maintain your levels, not to, to raise or lower something. Okay. Um, if you start dosing with the calc doser and somehow your alkalinity drops and your calcium raises, you should just stop the calc dosing right there and treat it and then start over again? Or Yeah, that's, I mean, if that, if that does happen, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how likely it is to happen if you're doing it that way, unless you're adding calcium additives at the same time. Um, but if it does happen, yes, you'd want to stop dosing the calcwasser, adjust, you know, to get your levels back where they're supposed to be, and then continue on on with with the calcium, uh, the calcwasser. Once you get your levels back to where they're supposed to be, because if you don't, adding the calc is just going to amplify um, your new problem. So right, you know, you discover that there's an imbalance in them. And it, it's a small imbalance because you just you just found it. If you continue to dose calc, you're going to magnify that. And it's going to continue to grow. Uh, so you know, for small invariances, it's not a huge deal. I mean, if we're off by, you know, if your calcium is supposed to be at you know 400 to 450 recommended range, and you're reading it at 380, I don't worry about it. You know, but if you're coming down to you know 350, 300, uh, then then you're going to want to uh, you know take appropriate actions to level that off. Okay. Um, my next question, I'm sure, reoccurs every month on the forums, but what do you like to keep your levels at in your tank? Yes, and this is something that has actually come up probably about five times, I think, in the last, um, in, uh, just this week alone. Um, so, we'll, you know, I thought this was a real good question, even though it's been in the forum so many times. Uh, I think this is a good place where we can bring it out and, and let everybody know. Um, you know, I'm going to start with the basics here. Your, you know, nitrate, nitrite, and ammonia, needless to say, should be zero. Uh, phosphates should be zero uh, or undetectable. Your pH, you want to shoot for around 8.2. Uh, I think 8.2 to 8.3 um, is usually pretty good. Uh, calcium, your calcium level should be between 400 and 450. Alkalinity, uh, if you're measuring in megs per liter, it should be about 3.5. Uh, or if you're measuring in D DKH, which is degrees of uh, German degrees of carbonate hardness, uh, you want to measure that at about uh, 9 to 11. Uh, as for magnesium, magnesium uh, should be uh, three times your calcium level, or uh, you know, for the straight reading, should be 1300 to 1350. Uh, so those are the basics there, um, and the recommended levels for them. Okay. Um, the next question has to do with phytoplankton. Uh, is there any way to test the first batch 
if you do a do-it-yourself uh, phytoplankton culture, is there a way to test it before you stick the first batch in your tank or anyone else's tank? Well, there is, but it's not something that a common hobbyist is readily going to be able to do. I mean, to, for an actual true test, what you're going to need to do is uh, you're going to need to have a little bit more scientific uh, equipment, microscopes, and you're actually going to have to do you know cell counts and stuff like that. That being said, uh, it's usually not a problem. When you're going through and you're setting up your cultures and you're splitting your cultures, uh, if they're getting darker, you're going to have healthy phytoplankton in there. Uh, things to keep in mind uh, when doing that, I mean, if you go back to uh, episode 39 uh, from back in March, uh, is where we talk and did the video on, on phytoplankton. And you're going to see, you know, you're going to go through and you're going to do your filtering of your phytoplankton and then you're going to, you know, store that away. So as long as your phyto is getting darker and you're filtering it, um, you know, between your splits and when you're, you know, getting your stuff that you're going to, you know, put away or dose your tank, uh, there's really not anything to worry about. If it's, you know, if it's continuing to get darker, that means you've got good, healthy, reproducing phytoplankton. So uh, it's not really a concern. If you've got stuff that's getting lots of floaties in it and, and, and stuff like that, or it's turning yellow or not getting darker, then you've got a problem and you don't want, necessarily want to stick that into your tank. Uh, some floaties in the bottom or some collection in the bottom is normal depending on the type of container you're using. When I did the video, I showed the Rubbermaid containers. Uh, and if, you know, the way that I do it with the, the, you know, hard air tubing that goes down in there, what it does is it's going to generate a lot of, you know, airflow or, you know, water current inside there, but it's going to leave certain areas that don't have a whole lot. And uh, a little bit of die-off in the phytoplankton isn't abnormal, and it's all going to settle in that area where the lower flow is. So, um, you know, that's pretty much it. As far as testing goes, you know, just use the common sense and use the knowledge that you've gained and look at it. And if it looks like it's healthy, then it's usually pretty good. Okay. Um, let's see. Next question has to do with treatments for water. I've noticed some companies that have treatments for tap water and already established aquarium water. How do you feel about these treatments? Worthless. Don't use them. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's... That might be a little bit harsh. Uh, my personal opinion is you should be using RODI water. Therefore, there's no need for them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things in tap water, lots of things. Uh, not only, you know, various chemicals, there's also um, loads of minerals, heavy metals. There's bacteria, uh, you know, fluoride, chloride, uh, chlorine, whole uh, loads and loads of different stuff. I have never seen a product that is going to actually remove all of this stuff. Now, some people do say that, okay, you know, having some of those minerals in there is good. And yes, having the minerals in, in there that you get from tap water is a good thing. The problem is, is tap water, 99% of the com time comes with so many other, other extra things. Most of these treatment uh, or, you know, tap water treatments or preparation treatments, whatever, uh, they're primarily dechlorinators. And that's fine and dandy, uh, but there's so many things other in, uh, else in there. Uh, I have seen some that report that they neutralize heavy metals. Uh, I, you know, I'm not totally sure how I feel about it. Uh, I'm not a scientist, so I can't say it's BS. But frankly, there you don't need them because we really should be using distilled water or RODI water. Uh, and as long as you're doing that, there's absolutely no need to even worry about it. Okay. Um. Yes, the next question is changing the salt type. I have heard some people say that reef salt 
has a higher level of calcium than other salt mix. Uh, how does changing from normal salt, sea salt, to reef salt affect levels in your tank? Okay, now synthetic sea salts are something that I did talk about in episode uh, six, I think it was, uh, that was like September of last year or something like that, a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> there is two, usually two different types of sea salts. There's the standard synthetic sea salt, uh, and then there's the reef type synthetic sea salt. And the difference really is, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, it's going to have higher level of calcium. Uh, it's also going to have a higher amount of other trace elements like strontium and magnesium and, and stuff like that, that you're going to, that's going to be more important in a reef system. Uh, as far as changing back and forth, there's not a problem. I mean, you can flip back and forth as, as much as you want. You just have to keep in mind that if you're going from a reef salt that's got these higher levels, when you do your water change, you're not going to replenish as much of those elements as you used to. So, uh, again, as long as you're testing for this stuff uh, and you catch the fact that it's low, you're going to have to supplement it in other ways. Um you know, whether it's a, a calcium reactor or a Nilsen reactor, Kalkwasser, you know, anything like that, you're going to have to, you'll have to supplement them in other ways. But uh, as long as you've got that covered, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I know, I can't give out any information, but there is um, some tests that are going on about, you know, dealing with many different types of synthetic sea salts. Uh, so in the, in the next few months, the uh, industry aquarium hobby is going to be in for a little bit of surprise when, uh, when these results are revealed because there's a lot of great information that's coming out of this and it's actually a non-biased report. This is going to be the first study of synthetic sea salts I've seen done not by a salt manufacturer. So um, very interesting information there. But, uh, you know, back to your question is can you switch back and forth? Yes. Does it matter which one you use? No. Just as long as you accommodate for anything that might be lacking if you if you don't have a reef tank that's got high calcium needs then use the normal stuff you know it's up to you okay i get uh, everything next, there for you <laughs> yeah okay yeah. Uh, this next question has to do with bio loads if you had all the necessary equipment for your tank phosphate reactor carbon filter and a skimmer is there a bio load cut off on the tank Okay, the first thing that I want to do is comment about that question. Um, and the thing that I want to comment on is, uh, it, you know, the way that it was put was, if you have all the necessary equipment. Now, necessary is a relative term. Um, phosphate reactors, carbon filters, skimmers, wet-dry filters, refugium sumps, blah, 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 blah. None of them are necessary. They are recommended in certain circumstances. They're not recommended in other circumstances. So it's important to understand that you may or may not use a carbon filter. You may or may not use mechanical filtration, phosphate reactors, so on and so forth. So none of these components are, you know, deemed absolutely required for any marine tank. Um, the closest thing, you know, the only thing on your list here that's required is the tank. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you don't have a tank, you're not going to really be worrying about this. But uh, other than that, you know, I think skimmers are very important. Uh, carbon filters are very beneficial, and phosphate reactors, you know, they have their place. If you have phosphate problems, then cool. You know, they can also be used as, as carbon filters and stuff like that. Now, to your actual question, is there a bioload cutoff? Absolutely. Um, there are ways that you can add additional filtration 
uh, biological filtration, chemical filtration, mechanical filtration to increase the bio load on your system, but that increase usually isn't going to be very drastic. Um, you know, if you're pushing the limits and, you know, you want to slap on, you know, a, a bio wheel filter in your fish only tank, um, you know, it might be, allow you to squeeze a little bit more out. Uh, but regardless of your equipment, there's always a bio load cutoff. I mean, you cannot pack, uh, you know, just as many fish as you want in your tank. I mean, it's a little bit different than than freshwater uh, tanks. There's there's uh, a certain amount of filtration that has to take na- take place naturally in the tank. And you know, if you start packing it up like that, even with this equipment, you're gonna reach a an ultimate, you know, bio load cutoff point where the tank just is not gonna keep up with it. So, uh, yes, there's an absolute limit. Okay. Um, I guess next question is water changes. Why are they so important? How much should you change at a time? Also, when you replace the water, should it be premixed salt water or just RO water? Okay. Now, a lot of experienced hobbyists uh, and people that have been around for a while uh, are probably sitting back in their chair or laughing their butts off right now. But I think it's important that this question be asked because. Um, it's actually something that I have discovered when talking to people. People that don't know, they also don't even know to ask this question. And it usually leads down the road of disaster because they don't know and they kind of assumed. Uh, so the first part uh, of the question is, you know, are water changes important and how much should you do? Yes, water changes are important. Uh, you should change the the standard recommendation is you should change 10% of your tank's total water volume, uh, not your tank. You know, if you've got a 40 gallon tank or a 50 gallon tank, not 10% of that, uh, but 10. You know, you got to take into account your total water volume. So if you've got a sump, add that in there. Uh, anyway, so 10% of your water volume and it should be changed weekly. Now that being said, as you get uh, you know further on and get more experience and get to understand your tank better. Uh, you can adjust that as you see fit. Uh, personally, for me, my water changes happen every six to eight weeks. Uh, but I know my tank, and I know, you know, I've got a real good feeling of what's going on there. And, you know, I can look at it and usually get a good idea of, of what's going on. Uh, and every single time it's confirmed with, uh, uh, you know, water tests. I, I've easily gone two or three months not doing it. Uh, you know, I'm continuing to replace, you know, the needed trace elements and stuff that are that are needed, which is a good thing about water changes, because uh, if you do your regular water changes, then that's going to replace a lot of your lost calcium uh, and trace elements and stuff like that that are needed in there. Uh, but for me, it, it's a little bit different, you know, because I'm working with, you know, almost 300 gallons of water volume. So a 10 percent water change on that is, you know, that's a lot of water and that's a lot of salt mix. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Uh, the other thing about having that much water volume is, you know, it's it's a little bit more stable and it can handle going a little bit longer. But uh, the standard recommendation for anybody, I don't care what size your tank is, if you're starting off, you should start off with 10% water change once a week. Uh, and then you can adjust as you see fit, uh, but you should only do so when you understand why you're making that change or understanding that you can make that change. Don't just, you know, okay, it's been six weeks, so I can change it now. Uh, it's important to understand that. So if you don't know, then just continue with 10% once a week. Um, moving on to the next part of it is, uh, you know, when when you replace the water, you know, do you want it pre-mixed or just RO water? Um, 
you know, again, as I kind of alluded to, you, you do have to use uh, mixed water. You have to replace it with salt water. Now, here's why. Um, when you're when you're going through on a daily, you know, on a regular daily basis, uh, your water levels evaporate. Uh, water evaporates, salt does not. That is why auto top-offs and top-off systems are so important because uh, if your tank sits there for a week and it's got 40 gallons of water in it and you've got, you know, X amount of salt, uh, after a week you're probably going to lose one or two gallons of water, but you're going to have the exact same amount of salt as what you started with. Uh, so your what's going to happen is your salinity level is going to rise. So in the you know on your normal top offs, it's important to top off with RO water, with fresh water. You do not top off your tank with salt water because you're going to continue to raise the salinity because uh, water evaporates, salt does not. So the salt's all going to stay in the tank. Now when you're doing your water change, you are removing salt water. So you're taking salt water out of the tank. If you add just fresh water back in you're not replacing the salt that you just took out. So your salinity level is going to drop. So when you take salt water out, you have to put the salt water back in. So to sum it all up, you have to replace only what was taken out. So with evaporation, the only thing that's coming out is water, fresh water. So you, what you need to put back in is fresh water. When you're doing a water change, you're taking out salt and water. You need to put salt and water back in. That help? Yeah. Also, it's the same question, but would you suggest using the same salinity in the water that you're replacing as yes. a tank? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Now, you know, normally stating yes. Now, if you are, you know, let's say you're doing your water change. Um, it, it's Friday. You're doing your water change, and it's been a busy week, and you have not topped off the tank in two or three days. So you know it's low. Uh, what you might need to do is adjust your um, – the salinity of your makeup water or what you're going to be replacing the water with to adjust for that. So um, you might use a little bit less salt in there. You know, so let's say, you know, I keep my tank at a specific gravity um, salinity level. The specific gravity is 1.026. The salinity uh, is uh, whatever it is, uh, 35 parts per thousand. Uh, So let's say I haven't touched my tank in a week and my tank is now reading at 1.027. I might mix up my water at 1.024 to kind of allow it to get a little bit more of the fresh water in there uh, than salt. Because what happens is if you know my my tank is you know at 1.027 and I adding am I adding in 1.026 water, um, it's not going to adjust it as much as if I were to you know go lower. Uh, so that's the only time I I you would want to top off with something different than what your normal your normal amount is okay makes sense uh, yeah good <laughs> makes a lot of sense uh next question is water flow is there any way of figuring out how much water flow a tank needs or is it based mainly on the corals and fish actually it's both so you need to figure out how much is needed based off the coral and fish <laughs> so um i know i talked about this in a show somewhere i think it was episode five um, but I was talking about power heads and, and water flow and stuff like this. Now, this is what I, the information I'm going to give you is based on the fact that you are going to be using live rock uh, as your main biological filtration in your tank. For live rock to be efficient, you need to have a minimum of uh, you need you need to turn over the amount of water in your tank at the very least ten times. I recommend a minimum of fifteen times an hour. So 
Um, you know, if if you've got a forty gallon tank, uh, and you want you know you want to turn over fifteen times an hour, you're going to need to generate six hundred gallons an hour of current. So what does that mean? That means that the rate of all of your power heads combined should add up to six hundred. So if let's say you pick up you know little maxi jets, uh, I think they're the twelve hundreds are like almost three hundred gallons an hour. Yeah. You know, two of those would give you 600 gallons an hour. Um, if you have a fish-only tank, that's probably fine. Um, but you also can take into account if you've got like a hang-on back skimmer, that's going to be generating water flow for you, uh, or any other type of you know hang-on back filtration, canister filter, whatever might apply to you. Anything that's moving water, you can add to that. Um, but uh, the, at the minimum, you want you know I personally recommend 10 turn over the tank 10 times an hour. Now, when you get into more of the high water flow corals, a lot of the branching stony corals or anything like that, that's really looking for a higher rate of flow, then you want to move up to a minimum of 20 times an hour. Uh, personally, if you're dealing with, you know, this, the stony corals and you're going to need high light and high water, you might want to go, you know, 25 times an hour or higher. So, you know, in a, in a tank like yours, if you want to turn over, you know, 20, 25 tanks an hour, you're going to be looking at needing a thousand gallons an hour in that tank. Uh, so all of the power heads added up, you're going to want that to come out to a thousand gallons of hour, an hour. Now, that being said, it's important that, okay, you need 600 gallons in, uh, an hour turnover in your tank to meet your, your 15, um, 15 tanks an hour turnover. What you don't want to go out and get one power head, you know, like a, a CO or something that's going to turn over 680 gallons of water because it's not going to accomplish the the varying flow that you need in there. It's better to actually use something like a closed loop system or uh, using a squid, something to randomize flow. Um, or, you know, at the very least, instead of using one power head, use two smaller power heads or three smaller power heads. You know, put one in the one in each corner and then one in the middle pointing off to one side or you know and something like that so helping to randomize a flow is going to reduce your dead spots it's going to get better flow around and uh, around and near the rock to help it do its job and stuff like that so uh you know the more you know you really need to start at about 15 you know turning over the tank about 15 times an hour and work your way up from there as needed so that help it helps a lot. Um, uh, tank maintenance, like washing your hands before you stick them in your tank. Do you have any suggestions on how to wash your hands? Well, this is a tricky one because you should only use, you know, put your hands in your tank uh, when you need to. And when you do need to, they should be clean. Uh, so you should clean your hands. How do you clean your hands? Well, you use soap and water and you clean your hands. The problem is soap is, you know, very hazardous to your tank. So normally what I'd recommend is, you know, if you if you need to use soap and water, then you have to make sure that you rinse your hands off very well. At the minimum, um, you know, when I need to, it's, you know, I, I'll just rinse with water and I'll start digging in the tank. And uh, I haven't had any problems with that route. But uh, you just, you need to be very, very careful with uh, soap in your tank. Uh, so, you know, some other method, you know, not that everybody wants to do it and it's kind of gross, um, but, you know, vinegar is a great cleaning agent and it's safe for your tank. So, um, you know, if you've got something hard on your on your hands that you need to get off, you can try using some vinegar because vinegar is, 
it's not, you know, the, the amount, the residue on your hands is not going to harm your tank. It's actually okay for it. So, um, you know, that, that's something that you can look at, but you know, normally rinsing your hands is usually sufficient. Okay. Um, last question. Local no, fish. not the last question. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, okay, I'm interrupting uh, you now. <laughs> it's okay. Um, what are some rules of thumb to go by when buying fish and corals from local fish stores? Oh, geez. Now, this is this is a, a an, probably a topic that I could go on for, for hours. Um, and actually, what I've done already is I've got two shows out there. Um, one is on... Um, buying coral and selecting coral um and that was episode 24 and the other episode episode 22 was on selecting fish now both of these episodes um, are going to go into a lot more detail than what i you know what i can really go in here but uh, episode 22 uh, episode 24 both from december of last year uh, go into detail about you know going into your local fish store looking at the fish, what to look for as far as, you know, diseases, are they eating, do they look healthy, uh, the same thing with coral, what to look for, what to stay away from, stuff like that. Uh, so really what I would recommend here is going back and checking out uh, episode 22 and 24. Um, I could, you know, I could kind of run through some things, uh, but there's a lot that I'm going to be missing. Uh, and that's going to cut, those two shows should cover everything as far as fish and coral. Now, as for live rock, that's kind of a hard one. You really want to, you know, decide what you're looking for in your tank and try to get the pieces of rock that look nice and that are going to fit into your overall design well. Um, looking in the tank, you want to look for aptasia or flatworms or uh, anything that looks like uh, they might be, you know, might be problematic. Um, you also want to, you know, keep an eye at, you know, as people see, you know, algae and stuff growing on them. And in a lot of cases, it's good, but you want to make sure you don't see hair algae and stuff growing on, on that rock. Um, some other important things with live rock uh, that's important is uh, quarantining your live rock. And a lot of people assume that there's no need to do this. Like, uh, even for people that do quarantine fish and coral, uh, quarantine your live rock is probably one of the most important things to do. Uh, live rock is the number one of the number. It's probably the number one carrier of nuisance hitchhikers uh, and stuff that you don't want in your tank. And the problem is, is there's places for them to hide. You know, when dealing with fish, it's possible to bring disease and stuff like that. But you, you've usually got you know by looking at the fish and observing the fish in the tank and its behavior uh, and stuff like that that I mentioned in episode 22, you can usually get a good feeling about it and whether it's healthy and whether it's, you know, how much of a risk it's going to be. Uh, and the same thing for coral. I'll, and a lot of that again was explained in, uh, episode 24. So, uh, you know, it, this'll help you. You can get hitchhikers, you can get parasites, you can get disease, stuff like that, uh, bacterial infection, stuff like that from coral and fish. Uh, but live rock, man, it, it can, it can be a real, real pain in the butt. So what I recommend, really, you don't need anything special. I mean, you just need um, a container to put it in. It's better if you've got a glass tank because then you can see it from all different sides. Um, but you want to set it up in there, get some water, get you know a power head in there, throw a little heater in there, and let it sit in there for a couple weeks. Because what you want to look for is stuff that's going to start growing off of it. You, again, you want to look for the Aptasia. You want to look for... Um, 
you know, flatworms, nudibranchs, uh, various uh, uh, crabs that might be hidden in there, mantis, shrimp. A lot of that stuff is going to come unbeknownst to anybody buried in your live rock. Uh, the best thing to do, like I mentioned, set up the tank. No lights. You don't need, you know, you don't need to stick lights on it. Um, keep it in kind of a, you know, for me it's easy because 99% of all my stuff is in my basement and I've got my fish room in my basement uh, and I can, you know, close the door in there and, you know, there's enough light in there for me to see but not, not enough light to really light the tank. And what it allows me to do is take a look into, you know, a tank that's got rock in it and observe that rock without being fully exposed to water. And it's going to allow a lot of the critters that would normally come out at night to be out and for me to identify them. So uh, live rock, it's important to quarantine that stuff and make sure you can identify that. Now, if you run into a circumstance where you're finding nasties on it, I mean, if it's something like a, a crab, then you can, you know, using, you know, Brian Plankus's information, you can isolate and identify it. You can separate it. Uh, into a separate container, and then you can work to actually identify what it is. Uh, I'm not a strong proponent of the, you know, if I don't know what it is, let's just get rid of it, because uh, there's a lot, a good chance that it, it you, if you don't know what it is, it might not be bad. Um, it might be beneficial. It might be beneficial to other people. You know, a lot of these uh, nudibranchs that are going to eat uh, anemones, you know, those are they have beneficial. You know, well, we went through all that in, in the show, one of the shows that we did with Brian. Um, so it's important to identify that stuff that you can, uh, and if you and then if you run into a problem where they they're just covered in aptasia or um, you've got flatworms or something like that, you know you might just have to resort cut your losses and kill the rock. I mean you know dry it out, bleach it, bake it, you know whatever. Um, you know you can still use the rock. Um, it you know you can reseed the rock with other live rock or whatever. It will come back to life. It's going to take a good. Uh, you know, four, six, eight months or whatever to do so, um, but it will and it'll be fine. It's, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to buy, you know, when you're spending, you know, six, ten, whatever, twelve dollars a pound, depending on where you're at for live rock if you're just going to bake it off. But um, that's why personally I, you know, I've got a phobia of live rock because I've had so many problems with, uh, you know, stuff coming in on it. And a lot of times I will end up just, you know, the last load of live rock I got, I just, I, I baked it. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even bother. You know, I, I had it set up for a little while. Uh, I saw, you know, hydroids all over the rocks. I was like, screw <laughs> this. You know, it's, I, I'm not even taking the chance, you know, um, you know, I picked I picked it up from from somebody. You know, it wasn't you know I didn't go out and spend a load of money on it, so I wasn't worried about it. It wasn't a big loss for me, but you know, I just had to I had to you know I'm not you know I've got you know an entire tank. I'm not going to destroy it by adding you know 50 pounds of live rock just covered in in hydrate. So, you know, I basically what I did is I I dried it out. You know, I let it sit out, um, and then I bleached it, and I let it sit and bleach actually overnight, and then I took the rocks out and put them in the oven for 15 minutes each at 400 degrees and just cook the hell out of them. So, um, yeah, so, uh, I think that covers the live rock. I think I actually talked too much about that, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, go back to episodes 22 and 24 for the fish and coral and that's for your live rock. So anything else? I believe that's it. That's it. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, well, I'll, you know, I'll give you a minute if there's any other questions that you want to come up with. Um, you know, in the meantime, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, if there's anybody else that has similar, you know, questions or other questions that they want to do, you know, again, you can head over to the forums, uh, talkingreef.com. You can post your questions in there. Um, if you've got a long list of stuff like this, 
um, by all means, get a hold of me. Uh, email me at podcast at talkingreef.com or, you know, as usual, you can get a hold of me through the forums. Uh, you can PM me, uh, anything, you know, send me a message, whatever. Uh, and if you have a list like this, we can go through and uh, I can work with you and get your questions answered. And uh, if you got a list like this, we can do it on the show too. So um, anything else before we uh, jump off, Wes? No, just thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on and uh, you know share your questions with us. I hope that we uh, that I was able to help you with these. And uh, um, you know, if you've got any, you know, I think we went through and I think we answered all of your open questions here. But if you've got any other open questions, um, I know that you, of all people, know where to find the forums. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I wanted to thank you for uh, you know supporting the forums and being in there all the time. You know, it really really helps out the community. I know you're in there all the time and it's great. So yeah, I have um, a blast in there. Yeah, I know there's, it's, it's, it's a great place. And I, I'm, I am so impressed to see, you know, how it's, how it's grown, you know, since, since we started it up. And I was, I was really worried that I was going to be dealing with problems and, and people like, Oh, that's wrong. And this is wrong. But I have just been amazed the group of people that we have in there, the way that they, you know, just take newcomers and walk them through everything. Everybody is very patient, understanding, um, you know, very willing to share information and help explain stuff. And it's it's just been great. So, for anybody that hasn't been to the forums, um, I you know I mention it in every show. So I'm going to just mention it again. Go there and check them out. Uh, Talkingreef.com. So um, I think that's going to wrap it up. Um, it's your last chance uh, to speak or forever hold your peace. <laughs> um, if there's anything else, uh, go ahead and spit it out before we run off. Uh, not that I can think of. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And, thanks for uh, having me. No problem. And uh, that's going to do it for us. Thanks. Thanks. Again, special thanks to Wes for coming on the show and opening up to everybody with the questions that he had. I know that that can be somewhat intimidating to some people, especially in a public forum like that. Uh, but uh, again, I think he did, we did a great job and hopefully it helps out a lot of people. If there's anybody else that's got a series of questions related or unrelated uh, like this and that would be interested in, in doing a, a quick little show like that, by all means, uh, get a hold of me. Let me know and we can set something up. Now, before we wrap things up this week, uh, there's a couple things that I wanted to mention and throw out there real quick. First of all, forum activity has been through the roof. Uh, I have been struggling, and I know a lot of other people have, just to kind of keep up with the posts. Uh, it's kind of a, a catch-22. It's you know, I work real hard to read, uh, at least read every single post. Uh, it's been a while since I've really had the chance to actually be able to respond to every single post, um, but I am. I'm still working to read them all, and as of now, I had spent some time out of town, and I am way behind, so I will probably spend the rest of the next couple days trying to catch up on everything that's going on and trying to respond to everything as, as much as I can, but uh, the activity and everything that's been going on there is great, so uh, if you haven't already checked out the forums, make sure you do. Uh, if you did make a post in there, if it was something you were specifically looking for me to answer, I'm sorry, I'm working to get to as many of them as I can. Uh, otherwise, don't worry about it. We've got a lot of very educated, very experienced, very nice people in the forums that will be more than happy to help you out with your questions. So uh, just bring them on. It's, it's been great to see the activity in the forums. Another thing I wanted to mention real quick is a question that seems to come up frequently regarding the show, and it's about 
people reporting that there's certain files that they can't play. Uh, now, usually what it comes down to is these are video files. Uh, so there's two different things here. People say, okay, well, I can play a lot of the shows, but there's some of them I can't play, not realizing that those are the video files. Uh, and then there's other people that are stating that, uh, well, I can, I can download the video files, but I can't play them uh, in on my computer. So let me just kind of summarize this real quick. The video podcasts that are sent out, uh, as a, you know, the, the audio are done in a very generic MP3 format. The video podcasts are done specifically in a QuickTime uh, iPod video format. So they are specifically formatted for the iPod, and they are done using a special encoding tool uh, that's part of QuickTime. So in order to play the video shows, you are going to need to have QuickTime and or iTunes. So if you subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, which uh, everybody should at least subscribe through, you know, something uh, to make sure that you get the new episodes as soon as they're released, they'll automatically download to the computer. Uh, as long as you have iTunes in there, you should be able to download and play those just fine. If you're having any problems, make sure that you have the latest versions of iTunes and QuickTime. On another note, um, there's been some talk going around about two different topics that we're going to try to start putting together a little bit more. The first one is the FAQs. Uh, the website, TalkingReef.com, does have a full-featured FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions Manager, and I'm going to be working with some volunteers on the forums and the rest of the, the Talking Reef moderators and staff to try to populate that with more information, hopefully link back to relevant podcast episodes and uh, just general questions and, and answers. So if you have anything that you think would be good to have in this uh, FAQ manager, please head over to the forums uh, and make a post in the podcast feedback or the site, uh, you know, the Talking Roof site uh, feedback area, one of those places, and we'll, we'll catch on to you uh, and, and kind of gather that information up. Uh, the other thing that's along the similar lines is the Tank of the Month contest, something that we had started before. Uh, again, because of the so many different things that I'm trying to, to juggle at once, I kind of dropped the ball on that, and that I do apologize to everybody for. Um, but we've had some, some interest show back up, and what I'm looking for is for a, a couple people probably that would like to volunteer some time and kind of head up the, the Tank of the Month contest. Now, it's really not going to involve a whole lot. I've got most of the ground rules uh, already laid out from the previous contest, so it's basically going to be somebody that's going to take in uh, the entries, validate the entries, make sure that they're legitimate, uh, sort them all, uh, you know, just general basic stuff. It shouldn't be very involved. Uh, and then what we'll probably do, I know before we are having moderators vote on it, what, we'll, what we might do is open up voting to the public, uh, you know, just to kind of let everybody vote on it. Uh, there's some details that we're still going to work out. But uh, if you're interested in participating in actual, actually moderating the Tank of the Month contest and helping me out a little bit, head over to the forums and send me a PM so uh, we can get some help in on there. Uh, and last but not least, uh, listener call-ins. Uh, if you have any questions, introductions for the show, comments about the show or anything, make sure you call them into the voicemail line. Uh, the number is 586-486-3357, or you can Skype me and leave a message at uh, Skype. Screen name is Talking Reef. And that's going to about wrap it up for this week. Uh, thank you all for taking the time and sticking around all the way to the end. And uh, I will talk to you all next week. <laughs>